Amen. Brilliant job, guys. Wonderful. I was, uh, I was saying to the guys earlier that um, probably marks my musical identity that uh, I loved the MTV Unplugged shows that they used to do about, what was that, about 20 years ago? And um, I still remember Eric Clapton doing that Unplugged thing. It was incredible. I think it, it may, may not be quite the level of Eric Clapton, but it was right up there, didn't you think? I thought they were great this morning. Really very, very good. Remind me to tell you a story of when Eric Clapton went to church uh, in, a, in a town uh, where a friend of mine is a leader sometime. Uh, but that's a teaser. That's a teaser for another day. So um, this, uh, this whole gluten uh, deal that I've got is... Um, is one of these complications in life. You know, you, you get to a certain age and you realize that um, uh, whatever has been being used as fuel in your body uh, has been able to be burned simply because the, the fire inside that particular burner that runs your body systems is able to burn up any fuel uh, that's available. But as you get older, of course, uh, you have to use the right fuel. And uh, that includes... Not, not eating wheat in my particular case. And so, you know, you're going through the airports and you've got all these different things to do and you, you kind of get food focused and food conscious because you're thinking, well, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Am I going to be able to find any food and all that kind of thing. And I, I found, um, I found a, a place where there's a, a subway uh, that had a gluten-free option on the, on the subway, which is amazing. And I thought, oh, I'll definitely do that. So I got one of those big, long submarine sandwiches, I took it on the first flight, but I could only eat half of it. Because it's a huge thing, it's got kind of, you know, the whole day's worth of every food group possible on this thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I ate half of it, and then I, I, I found that there was a bag right in front of me that was designed perfectly for half a Subway sandwich. <laughs> and so I popped it in there, and um, as I was coming off the, the plane, uh, the, the, the flight crew said, um, we can take care of that for you. And I said, no, I'm going to take that and eat it later. <laughs> and for some reason, they were really horrified. They, uh, they were shocked about that. But, um, but we, got to, um, we got to Australia, and uh, it, was a, it was a long way, Australia. Um, as I said, it's 16 hours ahead of us, which means I've been to the future, guys. It's fine. Everything's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Um, but uh, 16 hours ahead and we, we worked with a church two weekends and uh, worked with lots of their leaders and lots of their network of leaders because this church has been working with the materials that Sally and I have developed over our lifetime and uh, they've been built into that church over the last six or seven years and they've grown to be the largest Baptist church in Australia. So they truly are a, a kind of beacon of light in what is increasingly a dark continent and a dark country. And, um, and so they've seen these remarkable things happen among them. They have, um, they have 10%, on average, each year, 10% of their, of their global numerical membership. So say it's 5,000 people. Um, they have at least 10% of those folks who are new converts being led to Christ through members of the congregation each year. And so on average, 10% of their congregation is being led to the Lord 
by the congregation each year, which is an amazing statistic. The, the average, just so as you know, is just below 1% worldwide amongst evangelical churches. And so they're really seeing some remarkable things. And they've innovated some of the things that we've been teaching over the years in a way that I think is tremendously helpful. And they're using um, Discovery Bible uh, studies uh, with, their, with their congregation. And they're, they're seeing many, many people led to, led to the Lord in that way. I think probably we'll invite uh, the, the leader of the church over, uh, Dale Stevenson, to be with us. And uh, he, can, he can kind of give us some insights as to how that, that general work of evangelism uh, can be done amongst the, the, if you like, the ordinary members of the congregation. Because here's the thing. If the Great Commission is to have any impact in our generation, it has to be through the rank and file Christians. It has to be through ordinary Christians walking the life of faith leading other people to Jesus. That's got to be the way that it happens. And when that happens, of course, we begin to see remarkable effects. And so uh, we're back uh, with great uh, sense of encouragement, a great sense of the Lord working, but tremendously excited to be with you. Uh, You have to brutalize your body to get it back into some kind of uh, order in terms of the, the, the time zone that you're in, but it's absolutely worth it. Uh, for what it is that the Lord's going to be doing amongst us in these next few weeks. I'm looking forward to next week. Commitment Sunday, 10 o'clock. We'll be sharing the Lord's Supper together. We'll be having an opportunity to consider the vision that God has given this church down through the years and what it is that he's calling of us as we commit not to a person, not to an institution, but to the call of Jesus to fulfill the Great Commission. How is that to manifest in our lives? And that, on a regular basis, is really something for us to consider and think through. Down through the centuries, God's people have always taken the opportunity to recommit themselves to the calling of God in their life, upon their family, and uh, their, their people in their generation. And so that's what we're going to do next week. This week, we're going to continue with our study in Luke and Acts. Actually, next week we're going to be in Luke and Acts as well as part of Commitment Sunday. But, but this week we're continuing the journey and we're now moving into really an understanding of what it is that, that it is for us to follow in the way of Jesus. Jesus has a word. Jesus has works that are, that are evident in his life and ministry. But Jesus has a way, the works, the word, and the way of Jesus. What's the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus was so clear, was so distinct, was so concrete in the time of the early church that the first name for the church, the very first assignation, the very first way in which the the church was identified was by the name, the way. The first first name given to the church was the way. And of course, the reason for that is that these were people who were on a journey. These were people who were were not static, were not captured by the culture, by, by the moment, by the time that they were in. They were on a journey and the journey was defined by their commitment to follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And so... What is that like for us today? 
Well, of course, there are different contexts that we face today than the first century, but the elements, the principles are identical. And so we need to immerse ourselves as we, as we look week by week into the way of Jesus. And this week, and we'll return to this over and over again as we, as we go through Luke and Acts, this week we're going to begin to detail what the spirituality of Jesus was. It's not a subject that we deal with very much in church. What was the way that Jesus lived the life of the Spirit? What was the spirituality of Jesus? How did Jesus pray? How did Jesus live his life of prayer? And how did that life of prayer impact his work among the people to whom he was sent? If we can answer those questions, then we can answer those questions for ourselves because he's our model, he's our mentor, he's our guide. He is the one who we choose to follow and emulate and imitate. He is our way. So what is, what is the, the, the way of Jesus in his spirituality? We look at his, at his baptism and here in Luke chapter three, Verse 21, we read, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was himself about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. So Jesus comes to the beginning of his ministry. He steps onto the stage of history. Up until now, as we've seen in our journey so far through Luke's gospel, as we've seen, it's quite clear that Jesus, though more and more conscious of his identity as the son of God, even at the age of 12, he knows that he's in his father's house and he knows that he's about his father's work and will. As his identity emerges, as it would do in any other human being, Jesus begins to become clear about what the calling is upon his life. And when he comes to that point in his life, when, when people of his generation and in his world would make their decisions about the, about the direction of their life around about 30, Jesus steps into the waters of baptism and John baptizes him right there and then. Now we've looked at this story before, so we're not gonna linger here too much, but we're going to remember that there are fundamental things that happen at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that are absolutely axiomatic for the rest of his ministry and are absolutely definitive for our walk with him. As Jesus comes up out of the water, he's praying. He looks up and the sky is torn open. The heavens are torn open above Jesus. And the spirit in bodily form descends from the heavens and alights upon him, rests upon him without measure and without returning. The Spirit, unlike in previous generations, stays upon Jesus, 
remains upon Jesus, inhabits the life of Jesus. There is now a continuous connection by the power of the Spirit between heaven and earth for the first time in history. The connection between heaven and earth is in a human being. Jesus, the Son of God, who has come to be the Son of Man, is the connection between heaven and earth. And everything in heaven is now available on earth in him. That is an amazing reality and an amazing truth. Because here's the thing, the people of Jesus now have that same commission. They now have that same call. The reason that we're called the body of Christ The reason that we're called the people of Jesus is that we have his identity, we have his call, and we have his role. Because of his saving work on the cross, he has made it possible for us to fulfill that same calling of being the very gateway to heaven. Now, tomorrow morning, you may wake up and not think that you're the gateway to heaven. You may not feel as though tomorrow morning that you are the means by which God is going to save the world. But it's true nevertheless. You may not feel that there's anything special about you. But the truth is that because of the grace of God, he has done a special work and has made you a special person. And more especially, as we gather together as the people of God, he's made us a special people. We are the very instrument in the hands of God to bring this world to himself. Jesus saw heaven open above him, the spirit descending upon him and making the permanent connection that would never be broken. Made a permanent connection between heaven and earth. I say it would never be broken. Of course, there was one moment where that connection was broken. And because that connection was broken on the cross when the sky symbolically giving us a sense of what it was that was happening in the spirit realm as the sky went dark and Jesus cried out with the voice of dereliction with the voice of those who would be lost in hell without God Jesus experienced that very separation that dereliction that hell that judgment so that none of us need ever experience it. And in that moment, something else was torn. At the beginning, the sky is torn open as though the hands from heaven grab the very essential elements of the universe and tear them apart so that the spirit can descend. In the same way, it seems as though hands have reached down from the heavenly realm 
and have grasped the symbol of separation between humanity and God. That very symbol of the curtain that prevents human beings from going into the most holy place in the temple. And as Jesus cries out his last cry and the spirit is breathed out from him, he breathes his last. The word breathe and the word spirit is the same word both in Greek and in Hebrew. So as Jesus releases the spirit, those same hands reach down from the spiritual realm and grasp the curtain and tear it apart. And that means that we can enter the very presence of God and that means that the very calling on Jesus, the spirituality that Jesus enjoyed can be ours each day. You saw the pictures of Hurricane Dorian as it ground its merciless path across the Bahamas. And you probably heard from the weather folks, the meteorologists saying that that the definition of the eye was incredible and immense. And that in the eye, the sky is blue and the seas are settled. But if you move out from the eye, then you encounter a howling, howling storm. Jesus stood in the very eye of the storm throughout the whole of his life. He stood in the eye of the storm throughout the whole of his ministry. There was clear sky above him. Whatever was raging around him was not touching him because as he moved, so the open heaven moved with him. Let me ask you, today, as you leave this place. Let me ask you tomorrow as you wake from your slumber. Will you remember that there's an open heaven above you? That heaven is not closed to you today. That whatever's available in heaven is available not only to you but through you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that there's a permanent connection between heaven and earth in you? The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He has come and he has descended and he has dwelled within you and he is there without measure. And Jesus, as he stood under the open heaven, the Spirit descending upon him, the Spirit alighting upon him, resting upon him, hears the words of the Father, the words of authority, the words of abundance, the words of approval. We often think of the word you are my son 
we've looked at this together. We often think of the words, you are my son, or you are my child, you're my daughter, as words of approval. Probably the way that they are understood in the time of Jesus are that these are words that indicate that God has a representative on the earth. Actually, when a king says, this is my son, he's saying, this is the one who I authorize to represent me. It's a wonderful thing that God calls us his children, but there is an awesome responsibility with it. And the responsibility is this, that we are authorized by God to represent him. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? And of course, if we're representing him, then surely we need to walk under that open heaven so that all of the resources that are available from the king himself are being dispensed through us, his representatives. You're my son, whom I love. If we were to trace the, the ideas behind that statement, we would recognize an understanding of, of the abundance that a parent wants to shower upon their children to provide for all of their needs and to, to shower them with resources enough to cover every eventuality. Love is expressed in the practical, the practical resourcing of a person's life in every area that they need. The idea of love is that of course, God is passionately in love with us. But the way that that is expressed and seen in our lives is that God is taking care of everything. And his abundance, his abundance of grace is enough for every situation. His abundance of love is more than adequate to meet every need. And so underneath what it is that God is saying is a statement about abundance. You're not, you're not to see yourself as people who live in scarcity. You're not to see yourself as people who are defined by a spirit of poverty. Of course, we're called to the desperate, to the lonely, to the alienated, and to the poor. But the reason that we're useful to them is that we have the abundance of heaven. And of course, we identify as Jesus identifies with those who are the least and the last and the lost. But it's not because we are the least and the last and the lost. It's because we're the first and the finest. And we're that by faith because God's made us that. And so there's an open heaven above Jesus. There's an open heaven above us. And from that open heaven, there is a continuous 
connection to that heaven. In heaven, there is no sickness. On earth, there is healing. In heaven, there is no Satan. On earth, there is deliverance. In heaven, there is no sin. On earth, there is forgiveness. And it is continuous, and it is complete, and it is abundant in every possible way. And so the authority of God rests on Jesus. The abundance of the Father rests on Jesus. And he says, you're my son whom I love. With you I'm very pleased. His approval rests on Jesus. Not for what it is that Jesus has done because up until now, pretty much Jesus has done nothing. Nothing of any worth or note, let's say. But God's approval rests upon him because he is his son. And that's true of you and of me as well. It's gonna be a good thing that we see so many people one to the Lord, but you know what? He's not gonna approve of you anymore because he can't. He approves of you to the absolute maximum that he can already. And it's from that position of approval that we're able to step out. I think I'm walking all over the um, music sheets here. Sorry about that, band. I'll put them on top of the speaker over here. So this open heaven, and from this open heaven, the spirit descending, and under that open heaven, the voice of the Father is the spiritual cornerstone of Jesus' life and is the spiritual cornerstone of your life too. Of course, it's my life, but I'm talking to you right now. This is your life, an open heaven, a continuously present Holy Spirit and the voice of the the Father addressing you as children every day. So what happens? What happens is that we move from the eye of the storm into the storm. In the Old Testament, the picture of a lost world is a picture described by Moses in Deuteronomy 32 as a howling wilderness. Speaking on behalf of the Lord, he says, I came and I saved you from the howling wilderness. And what so often happens with us is that we're drawn into the storm rather than maintain our place in the eye of the storm. The world will always be covered by the storm because sin and a lost world can only only experience that storm in its varying different degrees. Of course. And so what is it that Jesus does next? 
Well, this is what it says. Chapter four, verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. What is it that happens next? What is it as Jesus stands under the open heaven in the presence of the Holy Spirit, hearing the voice of the Father? What is it that the Spirit leads him to do? And as he leads him, causes him to maintain his place underneath that open heaven, he takes him to the place of testing. And in the place of testing, what he discovers is that what is true of the open heaven in a time without testing is true of the open heaven in the time of testing. And what is the test? The test is to do with the human tendencies, his human nature being drawn into the human tendencies and the capacity for human failing that are defined by our appetites, turn this stone into bread, by our ambitions. I will give you all of the nations of the world and by our need for approval, cast yourself down from the temple and make a real sensational start to your ministry so that people know that you have the approval of God upon you as the angels catch you on your fall. You see, the thing that takes us from underneath the open heaven is being drawn away by our appetites, by our ambitions, and by our need for approval. And what we find is a howling wilderness where we're almost unable to hear the voice of the Father because of the howling of the wind. Where we're unable to recognize the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit because darkness seems to inhabit everything around us. And where it seems as though the open heaven has now been closed to us. But of course it hasn't. There's always an eye to the storm. There's always a place to which you can return. And as you abide in that place, it's a place of peace. Peace that will guard your heart and mind. It's a place of provision. Where, where we seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to us. And it's the place of understanding the voice of God because we recognize that underneath the open heaven, we can hear the still small voice of the Father addressing us as children and calling us on as sons and daughters. So the spirituality of Jesus is a spirituality of the open heaven. One that is established at his baptism and is tested 
in his temptation. And every day we get the option. Am I going to go back to the default of the temptation or the default of my baptism every day? Paul talks about this so many times. He says, set your hearts on things that are where? Why? Why does he say that? Because the way of the early church was the way of Jesus. And the default was to go and find the open heaven again. Come out from the storm. Come out from the wilderness. Come out from where the tendencies of your human frailties and flesh draw you into appetites and ambition and the need for other people's approval, getting the like on your Facebook page. And as we flee the howling wilderness and we come into the open heaven, I'm sure, I'm sure you're like me, aren't you? you? You find yourself thinking, why the heck did I ever bother leaving? It's crazy. Why did I leave this place? Why is it that we have a daily prayer time here in the resource center for the network of house churches because we have to express at every level of our life together the spirituality of Jesus and this is what Jesus did early in the morning he went off to a solitary place and prayed the word solitary place and we'll see this in a few weeks means dry place it means reconnecting with the wilderness again. And in reconnecting with the wilderness again, you're making a decision not to fall in with your human frailties, but to find your way back to the open heaven every day. Some Christians have told me, well, you know, it's, it's a kind of a legalistic thing to have a quiet time every day and read your Bible and pray. Sure, it's legalistic. If you're legalistic... If you're legalistic, sure. What's a good answer to that? Don't be legalistic. (laughs) Think of it like this. I can be in the howling wilderness or I can be under the open heaven. Up to you. Does God love you in the wilderness? Of course he loves you. Does Does his attitude towards you change? Of course not. But do you know the benefit? I think unlikely. The real benefit we experience is when in the midst of a world that is being ground down by this continuous storm, lives are being torn asunder and shredded In that world, we have an open heaven. 
And when we see the lost crying out, we say, come here through the eye wall. Come here through, through the struggle that no doubt you'll have to come to to humble yourself and bow the knee to the Savior, but come through the storm and find this place in the midst of this world where the Spirit resides and the voice of the Father continuously speaks. Now, you see, I think that that's good news for people. It's a life-changing gospel. And what happens for Jesus? He's in the wilderness. Well, he says to the devil, I'm gonna trust in God and I'm not gonna trust in my sense of need. I'm gonna rely upon every word that comes from the voice of the Father. I'm going to I'm gonna worship God and no one else. And I'm gonna let God use circumstances to test me so that what is in me can come out of me. So that what's, what's found in me to be false can be exposed so that I can shun it and move away from it and that what is found in me to be true will be revealed and released so that the truth sets me free. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, Jesus, Jesus establishes clearly, finally and fully. Let's remember, in his humanity, Jesus is like us. It's staggering and beyond mystery for us to even conceive of it, but he's like us. And so in the wilderness, in the testing, Jesus establishes his identity. If you are the son of God, the devil says, I am the son of God, says Jesus. He establishes his identity. On the basis of his identity, he settles his authority. And because he has authority, look what it says. Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. What does the world need? It needs power, spiritual power to transform lives. Spiritual power to reach into the brokenness and the lostness and the frailty and the fallenness. It needs power. And here's the thing, God in his mysterious economy of grace has decided that he's gonna use people like you and me to conduct the power. Jesus had no resistance in his conductor and so there was immense power. 
And as we deal with the resistance in us of appetite, ambition, and approval, as the, re- as the resistance is reduced, so the power is increased. But one way or another, the power of God comes to those who walk in his authority. There are some who take on the heroic task of being police officers among us. Some of them serve on our security team. I've spoken to them. First of all, you have the identity of being a police officer. And then you're given authority symbolized by the badge. And then you're given power symbolized by your gun. You can't have the gun without the badge. You can't have the badge without the identity. In the wilderness, the identity of Jesus is settled. Because his identity is settled, his authority is settled. Because his authority is settled, the power of God flows through him. So why is it worth you and I constantly moving back into the place of peace, the place of abiding under the open heaven? Because that's the place where our identity is reinforced every day by the voice of the Father who addresses us as children. And because that identity is reinforced every day, our authority is reestablished every day. And because our authority is reestablished every day, the power of God, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is working in us and through us. And some days we don't even know it. It's amazing, you know. Sometimes you'll talk to other people who don't know that your friends are Christians and they'll say, I don't know what it is, there's something about them. What is that? There's just something kind of, is it weird or is it? I mean, they don't know whether it's a good or a bad thing. They just know there's, there's something about them. What is that? Sometimes we rebrand it and we say, I, I don't know, they, they look a bit arrogant to me. They look like they're kind of walking around like they own the place. <laughs> well, that's because you do. <laughs> if God made it all and then he's given it to his children, then actually you do. Now, do we live that way of course not we step down from that place of privilege to serve as Jesus did but this day as you walk from this place my encouragement to you is this walk under the open heaven and this day if you know that this day you've been in the howling wilderness whether temporarily, or whether it's been your permanent experience, then come back. If it's been your permanent experience, then press through and set aside, set aside your, your, your feelings of insecurity and embarrassment and press through and bow the knee and find in Jesus a savior who not only saves you from the storm, but saves you to the open heaven. 
It's one thing to be saved from something. It's another thing to be saved to something. And if it's a temporary thing, then come on back. You know what it's like. It's great. And there's no place of condemnation here. Only the word of approval that addresses you as a child and says, you are my daughter. You're my son. I love you. And I'm so proud of you. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your spirituality. The spirituality of the open heaven. Lord, may we learn from you what it means to live under the open heaven. May we, Lord, learn from you what it is to maintain that place where we hear the Father continuously speaking and the Spirit continuously working. And Lord, if it's been that we've been away from that open heaven for a while, then Lord, today we come back. And if today, Lord, is a day when we realize that the good news means that I don't have to live this life any longer, the life of the howling wilderness, then Lord, we say, save us from the storm and to the open heaven. We prayed in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.